We know the days are evil, the perilous times are coming, and we live in those perilous times now. But church, listen, the good news is, and, and if you're not a member of the church, meaning that I'm not talking about Town Creek Baptist Church, I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ, um, you, you don't fully understand this because Jesus is going to differentiate today in our sermon between those that are in the light and those that are of darkness. And you don't have to like today's sermon, uh, but, or even the word today, but I pray that you would listen to what Jesus says to you and to me, and at least weigh the truth. Because so many people just say, I don't believe in Jesus. And, and the question is, have you studied the Bible so much that you haven't fallen in love with him, that he hasn't drawn you to himself? Because if you run up against your uh, friends and say, I'm an atheist or I'm agnostic, I don't believe, I believe there's a God, he just spun the world and it's still spinning. Let me tell you this morning, that person's not in the word of God. If they're ripping through the word of God trying to find God, listen, he will be found because the Bible says he would draw you to himself. If we seek after him, he definitely will definitely pull us to himself. But we can't just seek him. You won't say, tomorrow I'll wake up in the morning, I'm going to seek God. The Bible says you can't do that and you won't do that. But there will be something in your heart that draws you to himself. You came to church this morning, I'd love to see your smiling faces. We've got guests, we have members alike, and we have friends of the church all together here this morning. And we came for what reason? Mama made me come. <laughs> Dad made me come. I wanted to visit with family and friends. I come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of different reasons we're sitting in these seats this morning. And plus, it's warm in here. It's a great place to sit while it's warm, right? Well, here's what I want you to understand this morning. For whatever reason you came to the place today, to the building today, if you're watching my live stream this morning, I want you to listen at least. Give God a fair chance to tell you what he wants you to hear this morning. Don't listen to me necessarily directly. You hear my voice, but hear his voice as he speaks through scripture. Let's pray together. Father God, as we read your word, I pray that you would, Lord, we already know that it's anointed and moving by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that we would lift high the name of Jesus this morning, that as we have praised you already this morning, Lord, we continue to praise you in our hearts and worship you through our through the worship of the word. Thank you for your love and care for us. Give us understanding, we pray in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. All right. Well, take your Bibles and turn to, before you turn to that passage, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. 1 John, that's not the gospel of John, so if you're not familiar with your Bible very well, go to the front index Go to and help yourself. Let's all do that together, by the way, because there might be somebody who doesn't know. Go to the table of contents in the front of your Bible. Would everybody do that? Just I know if you're a veteran... Bible scholar here this morning. Just go to the table of contents, and on the count of three, I want you to call out what page First John is in your Bible. All right, let me count to three. Here we go. Everybody, everybody, table of contents, say amen. All right, let's go through and find First John, not the Gospel of John, but First, Second, Third John, the one of I call it One John. Ready? What page is it on? One, two, three. One thousand five hundred eighty-six. All right, let's turn to that page. 1,586 in my Bible. Anybody have that many pages? Anybody beat my number? What's yours? You know what? What's that? Oh, you have a smarter Bible than I do. All right. Well, I've been upstage. Y'all come preach. I lost my page now. Listen, trying to find page numbers instead of the actual book. Isn't that messed up? All right, watch what the Bible says. This is the, the inspired Word of God, and we're going to see something today, also some controversy. So just get ready for some dun -dun -dun controversy in the Bible today. 1 John chapter 1, I want you to begin here and look at verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is, what does your Bible say? 
light, and in him is no darkness at all. It's definitive that there is no darkness in God. Can't be, is not, will not be, cannot be. God is light. Now, if you keep reading, it says God is love. God is light. Love is not God. Light is not God. So don't reverse it. These two can't reverse, right? God is love. God is light. Am I extremely loud this morning? Yes, no? Who says yes? All right. I feel somehow it must be my head this morning. So having issues breathing today, so pray for me. So remember, God is love. God is light. Love is not God. Light is not God. Okay, don't get those crossed up. That's what the New Age movement does. And they try to hold everything else and say, this is God, and this is God, because he's everywhere, so this is God. Don't let people twist the scriptures on you and have an understanding for yourself of what the scripture says. So we have an understanding before we even begin today's message that John says clearly, God is light. Is everybody on the same page? In him there is no what? Darkness at all. The emphasis is, no. it could just say there's no darkness, but there's an emphasis. emphasis. There is no darkness at all. So if you take notes today in the bulletin, make sure you list 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. Now let's go back to our passage today, John chapter 8. And we, we began in John, John 7 last week. We were preaching through, obviously looking how the authorities were rejecting Jesus. And then we had an insert in verse 53. Now I'll put something in your notes. So let me get to you, go back to your notes before we read the scripture. And if, you're, uh, uh, if, if it shocks you at all, just study for yourself, do a little bit of study, but I put a note in here in case, did you have this conflict one day when you speak with someone, that you can say, I don't care what you say, the Bible is the fully inspired word of God. Before I read this, the Bible is the fully, is fully inspired word of God. I fully believe that, without errors. In the original manuscripts, y'all do know that uh, sometimes a scribe would make a, a mark incorrectly or nothing significantly, uh, but today we're going to see one of those passages that's marked, and your Bible might say, this is not in the early manuscripts, and you go, what is wrong with my Bible? Nothing's wrong with your Bible, and I'm going to clarify that today because my job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. And if you're not equipped, all you can go out and do is just argue. Well, the Bible is God's word, the end. That is the true statement. But if someone was to bring this passage up to you today, you, you, how would you defend it? And I'm going to give you some ability to defend it so you can actually understand it, one, and also defend it, too. All right? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to bring this up. Look at your notes. Jesus declared he was the light of the world. Even in John 1, 1 through 5, the gospel of John, the Bible says he was the light and came into the world and the world did not receive him. Because why? The world loved darkness more than it loves light. How many of you were saved after the age of, say, who was saved after the age of 18? Anybody after 18? All right, look around. That was me. Keep your hands up. Let me see. It. All right, those are the worst sinners in the church, all right? Because we lived a whole lot of time. I'm, I'm in the, you're good. We lived a whole long time in the world. We maybe went to church, visit with friends, or maybe our family took us. But there was that time period where we actually had to sow, as the old ladies used to say, he's just doing what? He's sowing his wild oats. Has anyone ever eaten wild oats? Me either. I don't even know what they are. But uh, I think horse, horse food, that's about it. But we have an excuse while we see that our children, grandchildren, whomever they might be, are in sin. Instead of calling it sin, calling sin sin, we just say, he's just sowing, she's just sowing their wild oats. Well, if you got saved after the age of 15, 16, 17, there's some, there's some wild oats you've been throwing out there, and is sin fun? Yes, for a season, right? And some of us today, our bones are popping, our backs hurt, everything else is falling apart at us, and that's the high cost of low living. Amen? 
If, we, if you've been there and done that, you can say, young people, listen, it's going to cost you something. Today it's fun. Tomorrow it has pain associated with it, right? It's coming. Payday, someday. There's a high cost to low living in life. That's a high cost to sin. But sin has its season, the Bible says. And also it says, be careful that your sin will find you out. That you can do it as secretly, as top secretly as you think it's possible. But the Bible says God never sleeps nor slumbers, so he's watching 24 hours a day. Seven days a week. He never sleeps. He's watching. He sees what happens in darkness. He sees what happens in light. But I want you to understand this morning, God is light. Jesus, the light of the world, came into the world. The world rejected him because it loved its sin and darkness. It loved its control. It loved its religion. It loved everything it got away with. And then here comes Jesus messing everything up. He comes in and talking about following God's commandments, about you're not even obeying the law. You don't even know the law very well because you're following traditions of mankind. Well, look, I want to give you this note. Look at look in your notes. He claimed he was and is the exclusive light of the world. Isn't that true? If he says, I am the light, what's he saying? He is the only light. There is no other light. There is but one way, right? Jesus even said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there is no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. That is a very exclusive statement. Would you agree? He said, I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life. I'm the only light in this world. People are searching for light in all kinds of different ways, in medicines and, and homeopathic ways and, and all kinds of different ways. People are searching for the truth, right? As a matter of fact, even when we have near-death experiences, what do people say? I was, I was dying, and I was on the bed, and they were trying to bring me back, and I saw the light. So, but let me warn you about that light is that's not the light of God necessarily because the Bible says the devil can appear as an angel of light. He's very beautiful. So don't judge your experience based on your experience. Judge your experience based on the Word of God. There's this young man that's going around social media right now. He died for whatever day, hours it was. And he tells about heaven and what heaven looked like and these golden angels that he saw and all this extra stuff that he saw in heaven. Listen, that's a false prophet. You cannot add to Scripture and actually say this is a new revelation from God. All right? So be careful. And today we're going to look at the Scripture and see, is that an add-in like that? You'll see. You might be surprised. But let me finish the notes. Darkness prevailed in the religious rulers' lives of his day because they would not see. How many of you have actually heard the gospel? You've heard the true statement that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that Jesus Christ came to this earth. We sing, we wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Don't we sing that? And we sing, Emmanuel, God with us. We know that God came to earth at Christmas. That's what we celebrate, that he came to earth to live a life that he might go one day to the cross to take our sins on him. That he would actually die as a perfect substitute, as a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. Every boy, girl, young boy, young girl, every man, woman, every senior adult, Jesus Christ died for you on the cross that he might take on the sin of the world. And the Bible says the Lord even turned his back on his son. That was the hardest part. The crucifixion was bloody. It was awful. But taking on the sins of the world, he had never sinned. He'd never known sin. The Bible says he was made sin for us. He was made sin for you. He was made sin for you and for you and for you and for you. Jesus was made sin for you. The Bible says he really did die. He really was buried in a tomb, a borrowed tomb, because he didn't plan to stay there. Because he said in three days he'll be risen again. 
And the Bible says God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says if we put our faith and trust in that truth, that he died, that we're sinners, he died in our place, if we receive the free gift of eternal life, that we too can go to heaven because we have now joined in the family of God. God has brought us near, we've received him, and now we're part of the family of God. Has anyone ever heard that gospel before? You heard it this morning, okay? You're without excuse this morning. All right. So listen, we've heard it before and before and before. But what happens is people choose, I like my stuff. I like my sins. And I don't want to give it up because if I give that up, that means I'm going to be one of those holy rollers. or I'm going to have whatever the name we call those people. And I used to call those people, like myself, those names. All right? So I know what I'm talking about. Am one, have been one. Have probably several t-shirts to prove it. Have the scars for sure to prove it. But I want you to understand today, the darkness prevailed in these religious rulers' lives because they would not see. They experienced his miracles. Even, how do we know? Well, we have Nicodemus in chapter 3. He says, uh, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God from the works that you do. There was evidence. There was proof that Jesus was from God. His teachings were with, was with authority. His miracles were with authority of God. Only God could do the things that Jesus did. There was evidence. There was proof. And yet these men, because they didn't want to lose their religious position, because they loved church life, if you will, not church, because we know the church is properly the body of God, but they loved the religious aspects of being the, the ones that everybody bowed to and cowtailed to. They loved walking through the streets and everybody recognizing all their outfits, and they liked their rank. It's like the military. You always loved getting the next stripe or the next bar or whatever, cloverleaf, whatever it is that, that you were in, whatever branch you are in. It was always a rewarding thing to have that next level of accomplishment because everybody had to recognize it and had to submit to you in a different way. Everybody understand? These men walked around and they were somebody. And Jesus came into the world and said, now listen, anybody has access to the Father, direct access to the Father through me. Well, that took them out of the playground. They no longer had a job. They didn't have a career. What are they going to do? How are they going to pay their mortgage off? How are they going to do all the different things they have to do? Where is their status going to be? And I believe these men, if they would just simply receive the Lord Jesus Christ, he would have turned back around and made them pastors of First Baptist Church, Jerusalem. Pastors of whatever church. He would have sent them out as missionaries, just like he sends every other person out. But these men would have had a leg up because they knew the law and they knew their traditions. They knew how they had strayed off from the love of God. Well, listen, let's finish this. The scribes and Pharisees heard the truth but would not believe, would not believe. And I'll put you a note in here, John 7.53 through 8.11 are not in earlier manuscripts. Now, I'm a, total, listen, I'm a total person who believes in the inerrant word of God. These verses are thought to be verbally passed on and added at a later date. You say, well, I don't believe that. Okay, that's fine. It's still in your Bible. It's still in my Bible. If you have an, anybody have an NIV this morning, look at it. Does it have a little caveat, a little bracket? It should say, this is not in earlier manuscripts. It'll say it in a footnote or it'll say in a side note. Don't panic over that because some scribe, it was a very, very much a, if you go overseas or you go to third world countries, uh, many cultures, they pass on story after story after story. They have great memories, but you know, sometimes the weakest ink is better than the strongest memory, isn't it? Amen? So if you write it down, you have a direct quote. If you say, well, what grandpa say about that? And you try to bring it back from memory, sometimes you'll get a little crossed up. All right, so this passage that we looked at last week, that's when we spent little time with the woman that was brought in adultery. That whole story is cast before uh, us uh, in the scriptures as actually happening. But if you read 52, then go to 53, there's an argument going on, and all of a sudden it just gets interrupted. 
Do we still teach it? Yes, because you go through and actually look and say, well, okay, I'm not, I wasn't there in the original. I don't know what was passed on. But is this the inspired text? If it's not in the earlier church text, then it can't be directly inspired by God because it was written. You can't add to it later. Understand? And most scholars believe, go back and look at it. And we can agree to disagree on this. So, but go back and just at least do some study on that. But it's not a, it's not, it doesn't change anything. Is Jesus, is he a freeing person? Is he someone who come to set you free? It's next week's sermon, right? Did he come and say, I didn't come to condemn. It's in the notes here just in a moment. But look on as we read the word of God and get back into the, the argument there with the Pharisees wanting to know who Jesus is, but not really wanting to know. Verse 12, let's pick up there. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from right, and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your Father? And Jesus answered, You know neither my, me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have also known my Father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid a hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Let me interrupt here just for a moment for a commercial. What did they commit to do in early chapter 7? What were they looking for him? What was the reason all these leaders were looking for him? They want to arrest him and kill him. That was their end game. They didn't care about who he was. They didn't care about his title. They didn't even care if he was the Messiah. Their end game was to arrest him, we know from the scriptures, and to kill him. They were saying, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And the people started looking saying, wait a minute. He's right there in the middle of the temple court teaching. And now here we go, second round. He's back there in the middle of the temple court teaching, and they're not even arresting. Why? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the prophet? Could this be the one? Listen, everything he did, he did according to what the Messiah is going to do, what the scripture says. Everything he says, he speaks with authority as if he's speaking for God himself, as if he is God with us. They were impressed that Jesus was sounding and acting like who he said he was. And they were also likely uh, impressed by the men who taught big stuff. And Wendy said, I couldn't say it anymore from the pulpit, but I said, put up or shut up last week. And she was at home, and she said, we didn't say that where I'm from. Did y'all ever say Who said that where you're from? Anybody else say that? Look around. I'm in good company. Okay. So that just means, listen, quit talking trash. Quit, quit giving lip service to something and do it. If you're going to make a threat against somebody, fulfill it. If you want to fight, take at it, right? If you want to settle an issue, do it. Quit telling me about it, right? Now today, how many times, that'd be a great scene for us to learn today, wouldn't it, right? Put up or shut up because social media, everybody loves to talk big stuff on social media, don't they? I can't believe she did that. If I was, right, that's put up or shut up. Put your thumbs down, right? Put your devices down and go see her or him, right? This is where we are in this passage here. 
these men are coming and people are recognizing, wait a minute, they said they were looking for Jesus and we heard they were going to arrest him. And we see all the miracles he's doing. Remember, they're doing this under hush-hush. All the people, the multitudes have come because the feast is just, is just now over. So there's probably a million people plus in this congregated area trying to get in and, and do their worship and do what they're supposed to do during the festival. Staying out in all these tents. They have tents. If you looked outside, all the cars in the parking lot. Think of those as just tents. That's how people would set up. They would set up their tabernacles, their, their tents, out in the, and they would celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles. It's just now over. Remember I told you Jesus stood before when the high priest would dip the water out of the well, and he would pour it out and ask for the blessings of God for the next year, right? Because he knew who brings the rain. God. And they even knew the scripture. The Bible says God brings the rain on the wicked and the righteous. There's nobody who doesn't get rain, necessarily. Now, I've had it rain in my front yard and not in my backyard before. Have you ever seen that before? So, it, so we understand that that could say it stops here. And you say, well, I remember that time. We're talking about in general. The Bible says that, and they understood that. So they would pour out the water, and Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come after me. Right? I am the living water. Jesus is calling them as they're symbolically pouring out the water because the land is thirsty. They recognize Jesus said, listen, if anybody's thirsty, come after me. And so the people are like, whoa, he's, he's saying that with authority. They listened to him. And the Bible says, and some believed. Now Jesus is standing again in the middle of the courtyard, the courtyard of, of women. That is what it was called in the Gentile courtyard. If you don't know the temple, it's hard to see. Melissa, were you able to pull that up? Somebody kind of marked this on, on, this is not original from us. That's the temple treasury. That's where he's standing. You see the spot right there in the middle? That's the courtyard of women. That's where the women could come. Gentiles were around the outside there. If you look at the, it's hard to trace. I should have had a pointer. But that green arrow shows you where Jesus, the Bible affirms that he's actually standing and teaching. So do you think he has the multitude in his grasp, if you will? Everybody has to come and bring their conversion money from Roman money. They had, they had to have temple, uh, the temple tax, if you will, the temple money. And then there was that offering money that you would put in. And so I'm told there's 13 different offerings that you could offer during that whole area right there in the treasury. So everybody had to come and pass through that way if they were going to make an offering. Thank you, Melissa. That's the temple treasure. So you understand, uh, it's kind of a cool visual where he was standing. And now that's just a rendering. Of course, you all know the temple was not standing, right? I've told you the temple is completely rebuilt, but it's in blocks. It's like Legos stuck in warehouses right now in Israel. They're waiting for the day that most people believe the temple mount is where, that's where the temple was, where it's going to be rebuilt. But the temple has been rebuilt, according to scholars, and it's stored. And they're doing the seminary now for priest. Did y'all know that? Have you read any of that? It's exciting stuff. And I showed you a couple weeks ago where the, uh, in Abu Dhabi, where they've actually built the, a, a mosque, uh, if you would, a, they called it a church, the Roman Catholic Church. The Pope agreed to it. And then they have also built a, if you will, a synagogue or a temple type in one location so that the world might come together as one under the difference of the belief. That's established and happening today. So I really believe the Lord's He's, if you can't hear the trumpets, uh, at least the buglers warming up, uh, I don't think you can hear what Scripture says. But the, the temple, according to experts that we listen to on, on the radio, the Christian radio, uh, Miser today, other different uh, uh, programs, the temple has been built and it's stored with its cornerstone ready to be built again. Well, let's go into the back into the Scripture. Then Jesus, verse 21, then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. This broke my heart when I read this. He says it three times. Church, listen to me. You need to listen to what Jesus says to the Pharisees, those scribes, those people that he's speaking to, 
And you need to listen to it as if he's speaking to you today because this is true of yourself. Those of you that are watching online, if you don't receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you will die in your sins for eternity. You can't get a redo. There is no karma. There is no recycling in this life. Jesus said, you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. You mark that in your Bible. That's spiritual death. Verse 22, so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will, what does it say in your Bible? You will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, that I am the Messiah, what does he say again? You will Die in your sins. Do you all hear me this morning, church? Do you hear me, friends? I don't care if you're a Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. If you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you do not know that you know that you know, according to the Word of God, you will die in your sins forever. You will die a spiritual death and you cannot recover. There is no coming back. There is no redos. Please hear me because that is, obviously it's a scary thing, right? But if somebody can talk you into heaven, right, or being, quote, unquote, saying some prayers, Somebody else can talk you out of it. If the Lord Jesus Christ convicts your heart that you must be born again, that you must receive him as your Lord and Savior, if you believe what he says here in the text, if you will, the red letter edition here, and you don't receive Jesus Christ, you're going to die in your sins for eternity. That's a horrible thing. That's a horrible thing. Let's continue verse 25. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. That's God the Father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I am doing nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And this is probably one of the most beautiful texts, next verse, verse 30, that you see it following every time Jesus preaches. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Isn't that a good word? How many of you can actually say, listen, when you, when you heard the word of God, finally when the Holy Spirit convicted you, you heard the word of God preached or taught or somebody shared with you, and then you believed. That's how it works for everybody who's a Christian. You must hear the word of God. You must hear the truth presented to you. I don't care how old you are. Our oldest person we've baptized in our church in Town Creek since I've been here is 87 years old. And for a long time, we baptized folks in our 70s, in their 70s. We had the median age of 63 for a long, long time. Chris and I would, if a child was baptized or a teenager and then a senior adult, but the median age for the longest time was 63 years old. That's amazing that God was doing a work in our church and he still works today. But everybody, no matter what age you come to Christ, you must receive the truth, the same truth that everyone who comes into the kingdom receives. You must believe that you're a sinner. Of course you know that because you've lived your life this past week. You must receive that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. When God knocks on your heart and says, hey, listen, you need to listen to what he's saying. You need to listen to those words. You need to respond in truth and say, listen, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Will you forgive me and come into my life? Because I don't want to go to this place and die forever. I don't want to die in my sins. I want to die in salvation that I might have eternal life. This is what Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. 
And he even said, go back to verse 12, look at what he says again. See if this makes more sense to you now. Verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have what? The light of life. Opposite light brings life. Darkness brings death. Does everybody understand that? I hope I don't leave here today without that clarity. The light of the world who is Jesus Christ brings eternal life. For the wages of your sin, the Bible says, is death. That's Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the light of the world. He is love. For God so loved, even he talks about the world, that he gave his only begotten son. He was talking about himself. That whosoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life. How many times can God tell you that he loves you? How many times can God say, listen, I hate sin? How many times can God say, listen, my son, Jesus Christ, paid the price for your sin if you would only believe? How many times must he say it before you receive him? Because every time that you've heard it and don't receive it, you reject him. You say no to God. And if you say no to God, Jesus is very clear. Like these Pharisees, they continue to hear. They continue to see the miracles. They're going to go some more. This is about six months happening prior to the crucifixion. And Jesus even told them, I'm going away. He was talking about his death on the cross. He said, I'm going away. And where I go, you can't come. He was prophesying these men are such hard hearts. They were so into themselves that they couldn't even open up a little bit of a door to see the light of the world. And they died in their sins. These men are in hell today. That, you ever think about scripture being a reality like that? These guys are really dead. They don't live 2,000 years. They're, they've been in torment for two years. I mean, 2,000 years plus. They're dead. And they died in their sins. Except we know there's somebody, there is somebody who's redeemed out of this whole batch. Praise God that God saves a remnant. Amen? Well, go back to your notes if you would. Let me go over to your notes because we, we want you to hear this truly today. Verse 12, Jesus declared he was the light of the world and promised. He promised to give all who believe the light of life. That's eternal life. Do you remember what they, how would they connect with these people, this Jewish congregation, this Jewish people that are gathered there? What are they celebrating? The Feast of Tabernacles, or we would say they were camping out, right? The Feast of Tents. How God brought them out of Egypt and they had to camp out in the desert. He provided for them food, shelter, protection. How did he protect them, by the way, at nighttime? A pillar of fire by night, which is a bright light, because God is light. And how did he protect them during the day? It's called a pillar, or a, cloud, a pillar of cloud, right? A cloudy pillar, you might say. But it was bright enough so they could actually understand that it was full of what? Light. When Moses encountered the burning bush, what was happening to the bush? It was on fire, and what did it look like? It was bright light. The Shekinah glory of God is called what? The light of God. God is light. You can go through Scripture, see time and time again in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. God is light. God is love. Everything about God is light. That's why we won't black out the stage. That's why we won't put on strobe lights, because that's what we do in the bars, right? If you're going to have a bar, you turn the lights down low, you put on the strobe lights and loud, super loud music. Now, I'm not saying there's not good quality music out there on Sunday morning, but if we make the church look like the world, what does the world want to come to the church for other than to have a good time? 
right? Because what happened is we're so used to the world, the bars where you meet, right? People that you would never talk to on the street. Some of y'all have never been into a bar, and I know there's kids in the room. But kids, where they serve alcohol, they'll, they'll dark out the lights. We always said there's pretty women get, uh, ugly women get pretty, and ugly men uh, get handsome, right? Because they turn the lights down low. You ever been to a nice restaurant and the lights are so dim you can't see what you're eating? I always tell women, this is the wrong place for us. Costs more money. I said, this is a mafia hangout is what this is. He said, nobody can identify somebody across the way. Who was that? Who was sitting at the table across from you? So if it's dark lights in a restaurant, I'm, I want to get out there because I want to see my food, right? When I come to the worship, the God of who is light, what do I want to do? I open the place up. Let's get it as bright as we possibly can because God is light. You say, well, it's theatrical. The church consultant said if you turn the lights down low and you crank up the music really loud, that'll make everybody happy and they'll come in. Did you know the Bible says no one seeks after God, no, not one? If you put on a good show, everybody will come, right? If I took off my shirt and preached this Sunday, y'all would go home and tell us you wouldn't believe what that crazy preacher did. Somebody's going to come next week to see what I do next week, right? If there's theatrics every week, you're going to come for the show and go, what's he up to next week? Well, let's continue. That's a gross thought, I know, but let's continue. <laughs> the Pharisees continued to defame Jesus. They accused him of boasting about himself without witnesses. This is what the law of Moses said. And by the way, Jesus, if you look here carefully, Jesus, they said, you're, you're, you're witnessing of yourself. You don't even have a secondary witness, two or three witnesses. And Jesus was clear, I don't need a witness because I'm God. I want you to see this. This is so true. They tried to defame him and say he was boasting. Verses 14 through 16, Jesus knew and stated his witness was divine and true. And I put this in your notes. God needs no other witness. Amen? He is the great I am. He said, I am the light of the world. I am life. And here he says, I am and the Father are one. He needed no other witness. Verse 17 through 18, Jesus' witness conflicted with the religious ruler's ignorance. And this is not ignorance because they didn't know any better. They're like, who are you and who's your father? How would they know who the Messiah was? How would you know? Let's just put us, let's back us up during this time. Let's go sit in the temple courts, right? Let's, go, let's, let's, hear him, let's hear the rhetoric. Let's hear all the noise. And we're wearing some fancy dresses, robes kind of things, all right? We're standing there. We're making our sacrifices or we're coming for sacrifice. We're celebrating. It's been a fun week. Remember, this is the week of like a Thanksgiving week. Now, people have been celebrating He's good, he's good, and the celebration, this was one of the fun feasts, right? And now we're all there, we're hearing this man, we're hearing rumbling, because everybody's talking, hey, they said if they could find him, they would arrest him and kill him, because we know that's from the scripture. But now they see him, the people see the response, and so the noise is that let's be there for just a moment, let's look and listen to what he says. And if you look at what he's talking about here, about the law, when he comes up, he says, yes, your law is true, your law, Right? And who was the lawgiver? Jesus himself. Is Jesus God? Yes. And he gave it directly to Moses to give to the people. So he's telling them it's your law, it's your responsibility because it was giving to the Jews. Yes, your law says there's got to be two witnesses or three. Me and the Father, listen, the Father speaks for my, on my behalf, but I don't necessarily need. I can speak on my own because I am God. And by the way, who was the law given to? I just gave you the answer. But boil them all down so we can all be in the same pot, same, same pot there for us. We're there. Who was the law given to? Everyone. That's exactly right. The law was given to everyone, 
specifically to the Jews, but thou shalt not murder. Does that still apply today? Well, that's one of the Ten Commandments. I thought we were under grace. Can't you just kill at will? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Is that still one of the Ten Commandments? Still applicable today? But it's one of the Ten Commandments. What about the grace of God? I should be able to do whatever I want to do. Paul says, God forbid, Romans 6. God forbid. But God's moral law, just so you know this, church, God's moral law never changes. The word, there's a big word, he's immutable. God never changes. Throughout all of history, since our history, God's timeless as well. God never changes. Your sin was a sin even back in the beginning whenever Adam and Eve sinned. So the law was given for sinful people. So why did God require two or three witnesses? Why would we call it a Jewish custom, but why did it come from the law? Why did God require a witness? You know why? Pulling really close. We're all gathered around Jesus. Jesus said, I don't need a witness because I'm God. I don't need a witness because I'm sinless. Your law says you need a witness because you're liars. All of you, including me, are liars. How does that make you feel this morning? That makes you want to fight somebody, right? Because you know it's true and it's convicting. So the two or three witnesses was that somebody couldn't just come up and say, I heard, I saw Clint steal that. And I didn't steal it. Yes, you did. And it's me versus you. But if I had a witness that said, I saw him steal it also. Now, two people have saw that thief, right? They've saw in that the way you can be convicted. And now in our culture, it doesn't work anymore, does it? Because will two people lie about one person today? Yeah. Our, our law would be like, you need about 20 witnesses to tell, for them to be the truth, right? Because these people were liars, and we're worse than these people. We'll lie about everything. If it gets us advanced, or if it gets us, we'll pull somebody down. We got titles for it today. We call it bullying. We call it uh, murmuring. We call it gossip, right? We'll do anything to destroy somebody else so we can get ahead of them. Isn't that true? It's the American way. That's the sinful way as well. So why was the law given? Why was there, Jesus said, this is true about your law. I gave it to you because you're all liars. And they knew what he was saying. That make them happy? Thank you so much, Mr. I'm trying to kill. And now you call me a liar in front of all my people, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was confrontational to say the least. Jesus was awesome. If you read about Jesus, I love Jesus. And Jesus was sarcastic too, just for the record. If you ever look at his statements, and he was funny. Just that's a side note, all right? This was the law for the sinful man. Jesus clearly taught he was not on earth to condemn. You read John 3, 14 through 20. He says, I didn't come into this world to condemn you, right? I come to save you. I come to save you. That's where John 3, 16 comes out of. In the middle of that, I come to save you. But he is going to be our ultimate judge because he said, I, yeah, I came. And you heard the message that I came. And you didn't receive that message. So you can actually be separated from me for eternity. We will live, those of us, no, excuse me, those that are, not me because I ain't going. Those that go to heaven will live with Christ forever. It's eternal life. never ends. Those who go to hell will live, live an eternal living of death in hell. It's perpetual. It will never end. You'll have the new body. You'll have a spiritual body. You'll have an actual physical spiritual body. Whatever Jesus had, you'll have one very similar to that. And you will never die. Agony, torture, total darkness. Never see another person. Because I told you when I was a kid, everybody said, well, I'm just going to ACDC, 
they sing Highway to Hell. There was always those kind of songs, and we'd like, yeah, we're going to go to hell and party. We don't need those religious people, right? If hell is a lake of fire, what happens to marijuana? Is there any liquid in hell? Because the rich man, we have the story of Jesus telling the story, and he said, just let Lazarus take one drop of water and just put on my tongue to quench this thirst. So is there any liquid in hell? Any pills in hell? Any weed in hell? No, there's nothing but, but the people. The, Jesus said hell was created for the devil and his angels. That's what Jesus said. So why are people there? Because like us, they have a choice, and they choose to go there. We choose to sin against God. We choose to reject God's word, and we have our place, our reservation called ahead, and there will be a place in hell. And the Bible calls it pitch, utter darkness. He said, well, how can there be fire and darkness? Those two don't go together. Have you ever had a really, really hot, hot, fat lighter campfire? What happens to the base of it? It's glowing, but what happens in the outer area? turns black, pitch black. When you let it sit, it'll be black. It'll cover over, and there'll be ash on it, and you turn an ash, what happens? Or if you put your boot or shoe in it. <laughs> Anybody ever done that? Try to kick a fire that was super hot, and it's covered over? It'll melt your shoe. This is what the Lord says about eternity. Separate it from him. Let's finish this out. Jesus judged or called out sin because the Father had judged or called out sins. That's why he could say, you will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. And you'll hear that for eternity if you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because the Bible's true. Even today, if you don't receive Jesus, you will die in your sins. The Pharisees were willfully ignorant of Jesus' Father, who he was and who he is. Jesus preached in the middle of the temple courtyard at the treasury. Here the large crowds would be making their exchanges of money and giving of gifts. The place was lit up by large candles. You see the menorahs? They're large, large menorahs that were in the temple complex. And some people have described it that would actually go back and study this in a deeper way. Would say it would actually glow like a city on a hill because Jerusalem was up, right? Have you ever heard the Toby Mac song? Young people hear, we're to be a city on the hill. Where does that come from? It comes from actually the temple. We go back and look. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, right? Then he flips it in Matthew chapter 5. If you look for yourself, Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the light of the world. Does anyone take a light and hide it under a basket? Or we used to learn, we were farmers, so we learned uh, a farm community. Bushels, right? Anybody ever knew bushel? It's a bushel basket. No, I'm going to do what? I'm going to let it shine. Because why? Not because I can do it, because Jesus commanded me to do it. And Jesus took his light and his love and he placed it within me, took out my wrath, my disturbance, all my crazy, right? And he gave me new life. I was born again. And now I want to go tell the world about Jesus Christ. Those people I hate it, I might not like still, but now I love. And after I love them for a certain time, guess what happens to my like? It changes flavors, right? And it just all turns into love. I don't agree necessarily with some people, but I love them because I don't want to even see my worst enemy go to hell. Have you ever heard people just tell somebody that? That's where I want you to go? They don't mean it in the righteous way. If someone ever tells someone that, tells you where their heart is, their heart's not with Christ because Christ died that no one would go to that place. Yet we choose. Let's finish. Jesus prophesied that he was going away back to heaven 
from which he had come. He spoke of his death on the cross, burial, and resurrection. The Pharisees thought he was going to commit suicide. This is how limited these men were. Are you going to go kill himself? And finally, in verses 28 through 30, although the majority of the leaders did not believe in Jesus as Messiah, many others in the crowd believed on the words of Jesus Christ. Church, listen, today we have our situation. We're just like these people. We have a choice to make. Will we receive Jesus Christ? You say, what? Can you know for sure that you're saved? Church, what, can you know for sure that you're saved? Yes, you can know that you know that you know that you're saved. When, you're, when you know that you know that you know you're saved, knowledge replaces your fear. The Lord confirms in your heart that you're saved. You say, well, I have doubts some days. Some days, listen, who doesn't? Until you actually mature in Christ and you start saying, okay, now I know. Come against me. Let things happen. Adrian talked about this morning. When people come against you, persecution comes. We know it's going to happen. And we receive it as mature, maturing Christians. A young Christian might be afraid sometimes. But a maturing Christian, a mature Christian will go to the place and say, listen, I know it's happening. These are the last days. These are the times. And by the way, the last days began the day Jesus was resurrected. Did you know that? So the last days have been happening for a long time. Don't panic about when's he coming. Get busy today doing his work today. Don't worry about the darkness that's around us. Let your light so shine before men that you may, they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father who is in heaven. Know who he is. Don't worry about that passage. Is that 753 bothers me that's not original in the text. Or I think it is original text. Don't get hung up on it. Here's the deal. That same story, whether it's uh, uh, some of the early manuscripts don't have it, Jesus is a forgiving God. That's what the story's about, right? He forgives all sins, and he will forgive your sins if you would ask him today. Let's pray together. Father God, as we pray and ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sins, and Lord, we know that's a one and done. You died on the cross one time. We don't have to be saved and saved and saved and saved and saved. It's a once for all. You died on the cross once for all, and Lord, we thank you for that. But this morning, this message is a heavy lifting because you've warned that people will die in their sins, and where you're going and where you went, they can't come. Lord, what a sad, sad thought for those men today, even those women who didn't believe. But Father, for us, we have the hope, we have the Word of God in our hand. We can see what you said directly. Help us, Lord, to say yes to Jesus. And then, Lord, help us, as we know that you promised, to live with that light in our lives, that we might change this world for Christ. Help those that are nearest hell today, Lord, that they would actually make a decision to receive you as their Lord and Savior by faith, trusting you like so many of us have done. And those of us that are Christians, Lord, help us today. Love those who are unlovable, Lord, and walk through life together. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.